You're listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy is yours from the triune God. Amen. All right, get excited, people, because today's sermon is starting with a special reading from Leviticus. Yeah, it's especially for flu season. Here it goes. The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Holy wisdom, holy word. (laughs) Um, Day before yesterday, I had the chills and my neck ached, and I mistakenly thought I was coming down with the plague that has laid out so many people this flu season. And as soon as I thought I may be sick, I immediately wondered what I had done wrong. Like it was clearly a spiritual failing. The Levitical codes, one of which I just read, were in a way a public health manual that was developed so that the Hebrew people would not only be safe but also remain distinguishable from other nations. And our world contains contaminants that pose real health risks. And it wasn't uncommon for societies to deem these same elements religiously unclean. And one way to protect the community is to have the sick and unclean live outside the camp. I can see this from a public health standpoint. Quarantine protocols make sense in terms of protecting folks. Maybe we should have a, if you have a flu, you should stay outside Denver policy. (laughs) But I wonder if, if there's also more to it than just that. I wonder if wanting lepers to live outside the camp, so to speak, serves another purpose as well, an unspoken, less noble purpose. I mean, maybe folks in Jesus' day didn't really want lepers around, not just because of public health, but also because lepers make human frailty and brokenness so disturbingly visible. Their bodies, a reminder of what could happen to any of us. Unlike so many other ways of being unwell, you can't pretend to not have leprosy. Like, we may be able to pawn off our depression as introversion. We may be able to pawn off self-centeredness as self-care. We may be able to pawn off plain fear as righteous indignation. But leprosy, that can't be hidden. So who wants that kind of reminder of human frailty looking at us every day? I get that. Of course, if someone has an illness that is contagious, we want to keep our distance totally reasonable. But maybe it is also true that we prefer to not be in close proximity to those who remind us too much of things we don't want to think about. So we heard the homeless off to Coors Field when big events take place in Denver, and they herded the lepers to the outskirts of town in biblical times. I was at an event this past week in which someone referred 
to a girlfriend of theirs who at the age of 50 is pregnant with their first child, 50. And I had such a strong, strong reaction to this. I literally couldn't hear anything they said after that. I really don't want to hear stories of women who get pregnant at my age because I do not want someone to be a living, breathing reminder of what could happen to me. I do not want to be reminded that I could still get pregnant at my age. I do not want to be reminded that I could be a day away from a cancer diagnosis and a cancer diagnosis away from being homeless. I'm more comfortable believing that I'm following a formula that's working. I want to believe that the reason I don't have leprosy and someone else does is because I lead a good life or the reason I don't have cancer and my friend Kate does is because I don't eat processed foods. There is plenty of religious and spiritual ways out there that will happily sell you the formula for how to control life, how to release miracles, books and seminars from both New Age and Christian sources that will tell you the secret, so to speak. But it just doesn't work like that. Ten years ago, I wrote a profoundly unimportant book about bad Christian television, which required me to watch 24 consecutive hours of so-called prosperity gospel preachers on Trinity Broadcasting Network. There was an ad that came on while I was watching, complete with images of televangelist John Hagee laying hands on the heads of various folks while a voiceover said, miracles happen every day for those who know how to release the healing power of God. Pastor Hagee wants you to meet God's conditions for a miracle and he's prepared a special healing package that includes a book and CD for $25. And I thought off the top of my head, I could think of the following conditions for healing in the New Testament. One, you have faith like the woman with the hemorrhages who touches Jesus' garment. Two, you may or may not have faith, but your friends do, like the guy who was lowered through the roof to Jesus. And three, you not only have no faith, but you don't even know the name of Jesus, like the lame man at the Bethsaida pool who, when asked who healed him, was like, I don't know, some guy. <laughs> so, when it comes down to it, the only condition for healing is that you are sick. There are no conditions other than the condition that you are sick or broken in some way or in bondage to something that pretty much covers everyone. A $25 book and CD will never teach you how to release miracles. The power of positive thinking is great, and yet it cannot keep your kid from having a drug problem. A few years ago, my friend had a head cold and like a moron, I asked what she thought her body was trying to tell her and she answered that her body was trying to tell her that it had encountered a cold virus. <laughs> I spent yesterday, by the way, reading my friend Kate Bowler's book about being diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in her early 30s, soon after giving birth to her baby boy. 
And both the book and the title of the book are amazing. It's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. There are a lot of lies I love. Like if something bad happens to someone, they must have done something wrong. And if something good happens to me, I must have done something right. And deep down, I know these are lies, but these lies let me remain in this illusion of control. And I love that illusion. Don't mistake me. We can take steps toward healthy living. We can strive for mastery in our professions. We can live as good people. But what we can never do is control these things in the ways we like to believe we can. Which is why grace is ultimately more reliable than virtue. Grace is the healing hand of God, the source of life, the strategic reserve of mercy that no one earns and everyone gets. It's not depressing to me to say that I have a need for God's grace, that I have a need for healing. What's depressing to me is believing that I can make myself worthy or I can make myself entirely well, but that I just haven't managed to do it yet. If you choose, I will be made clean, the leper tells Jesus in today's gospel. I do choose. Be made clean, Jesus says. The leper didn't have a John Hagee book of spells in his hand. He didn't cause it or earn it or power of positive thinking his way into it. It was what it always is, the pure and unfiltered, unexplainable grace of God. Don't ever let someone tell you the gospel makes sense because it never has and it never will. This message that Jesus came to bring, this gospel of the kingdom of God is some disturbing stuff. Disturbing because we just can't make it happen or keep it from happening. The good news is not that there is an inside group who have done the right things to release health and happiness in God's favor, and there's an outside group that doesn't meet the requirements for a good life, and that, yay, the church can make sure that you're in the inside group. The good news is that there is no longer an outside group. The kingdom of God means that no one is left alone outside the camp. None of your story is outside the camp. There is no outside the camp because since the moment of the incarnation, God has gerrymandered the whole thing. God entered our profane places of uncleanness and shame and pride, sickness, and reached out to touch it all. This is the kind of stuff that got Jesus in so much trouble. Because we tend to prefer that the unclean remain alone outside the camp, whether those unclean to us be the homeless or the homosexuals or Steve Bannon or Ta-Nehisi Coates or an immigrant or an Enron executive. It makes everyone uncomfortable when Jesus messes with our purity systems. I guess what I'm trying to say is the kingdom of God is like a no-leper-left-behind program. 
And in this program, Jesus touches all that we place outside the camp, outside the town, outside our desires for how we wish to be perceived, outside our plans for how we hoped our lives would look, and he touches it and says, I do choose. The good news isn't a plan for living. It's just grace. This is the gospel, which my friend Kate in her book says is simply this, that God is here and that we are loved and that that is enough. Amen.